friends and welcome to the what's right show happy friday hope you are doing all very well uh what a week i am sorry i am sorry i let you down yesterday we did not have a show did a replay but i am back in the in the seat here in the saddle uh and definitely ready to get into everything that i missed sam Rajovsky here host of the what's right show nevada's favorite recovering californian And as per usual, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Now, a big thing I need to give you my thoughts on here is the DeSantis interview. His sit-down with Pierce Morgan. It was really in-depth, and uh, I'm surprised by some of my initial reactions to it. I want to share that, because I'm sitting there, and I, I took time to watch the whole thing, pause it as needed, really kind of get into it and examine what it was that bothered me about it. Because substantively, you know, substantively I'll say this, it was fine. It was a decent interview. DeSantis is a, I mean, he's a smart guy. And beyond that, of course, we know him as a competent, capable administrator. But this is, this interview here was his big coming out Uh, Not because he announced his uh, candidacy in any way. I mean, he alluded to it. There were some moments where he was asked, but he definitely is not entering formally the race. This was not an announcement interview. But what it it was was a wide-ranging, in-depth interview on topics that are relevant for someone who is running for president. But as you know, substantively, these... Uh, media performances, uh, that's only part of the, the substantive part. It's only, only, only half the battle. The other half is, is the look and feel. And I, you know, and I, I'm a DeSantis fan. I like the guy. And, and I, but I, he just, to me, seemed a little weak. I'm going to say it. He seemed a little young. Young, I think, is the word. I mean, he is not a young guy, you know, a little older than me. But he just comes across in, in the interview, he's sitting there, even his body language, he's leaning in, you know, and he kind of rocking back and forth. And, you know, there, there was a certain lack of comfort. You could tell he was nervous. And body language in these things are, is very important. Now, you have to convey surety. You've got to convey confidence. And, and so it matters. And I, you know, I, I thought, you know, but again, I, I, he gave great answers. It was a solid performance. It was, you know, it was what it was. But, but you know, if he wants to, you know, topple Trump and then, you know, shadow box against Biden, I mean, I, I understand. I mean, he in a debate would absolutely destroy Joe, Joe Biden. There's no question about that. But in a debate with Trump, I, I worry that this... Um, that this, this kind of thing this is, is going to look young and he's going to look weak up against Donaldus Maximus. So this just that was my first things first. I mean, as I'm watching it, I, I, was, I found myself rooting for him. I obviously want DeSantis to, uh, to do well, uh, to get his, you know, his 
message out. I think he has a powerful voice within the party, regardless of what happens with the campaign. And uh, beyond that, of course, I think he is America's most successful governor currently. I mean, he is absolutely killing it in Florida. So it was watching this. That, that was the first thing. I just I thought it was, you know, I thought it was a little a, a little on, on the weak side. Now, he did. Uh, he did. I think when he got into foreign policy, he was uh, he was very good. He was strong. He talked about uh, Ukraine. He talked about energy independence, all very important things, uh, obviously. Uh, he got into uh, his uh, relationship with Trump, which was which was interesting. And I, I told you this would happen. First. I know Pierce Morgan, there is a history between Pierce and Trump. Uh, Morgan has, you know, been, been well, he, Trump doesn't like Pierce Morgan much anymore because he considered him a friend. And Pierce Morgan was a journalist, is a journalist who during Trump's term, uh, several times took Trump to task. So this, you know, it was, yeah, I think, <laughs> yes, yeah, well, he, I, I mentioned that, right, that at the end of Trump's term, he, Pierce Morgan counted up all of the different opinion pieces he'd written because he had a, he had a weekly column uh, in those years with the Daily Mail. And, and, and Pierce counted all those columns up and said, well, there were roughly half of them were positive and uh, laudatory even of Trump, and, and the other half were critical. So it was a 50-50 split. Uh, but uh, but no, this, the, the Trump, of course, remembered some of the some of the bad ones and called him out on it. So there it is. So this interview, this thing, I think this was a big score for Pierce Morgan. He flew all the way out uh, from London, went to Tallahassee, Florida, where I don't know if Pierce has ever been before. It's not a typical stop off destination for visiting Europeans. But there it is. It went to Tallahassee, went to the governor's mansion. Beautiful you know, backdrop, and it looked, you know, the setting, I want to, I want to talk about this, the setting, it was very White House-like. I don't know what you think, Robbie, if, if you, if you saw that, you felt like you're almost, it was almost like a sit-down with it, with the president, the staging of it, I think was very deliberate. And so, um, you know, so he, you know, but look, that was, that was a plus, uh, back to the substance, DeSantis said, "Put the country first. Uh, very important." Uh, and then, and then, and then he really, you know, Morgan tries to bait him on Donald Trump. He tries to get in there and he and poke the bear, and 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 DeSantis really doesn't do it. And I want to reiterate again, he doesn't go. In for, I want to say this: this is one of the things that will end up being. If DeSantis runs, one of his strengths, because he doesn't let himself get drawn into this stuff, and he has a certain amount of discipline that he exerts, um, and 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 has that that well that that Trump doesn't. Trump has to fight his battles. I always said this: Trump fights his battles himself, and he does a great job of it. The problem is, occasionally you want these these battles to be done at arm's length, you know, away from you, because they're diminishing. This interview comes out. Trump puts out a long diatribe about DeSantis. It's very, very diminishing. The response, the the it's it's not good. And again, I'm I'm sure his team is telling him, "Don't do this. Just hold on." But you know, Trump is Trump, so he doesn't listen to anybody. And and, and look, when it when it works, it works. But when it doesn't, I think it it blows up a little bit. I want to take a quick early break here because. 
When we come back, I have some of these clips that I, I want to I want to play for you, just to get kind of a flavor of what this was all about. Um, I'll I'll go I'll go we'll go through all of that. The TikTok CEO, this is big news, of course. Yesterday, Capitol Hill uh, was testifying, so I want to get into that as well. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be an action-packed show. Sam Rajofsky here, this hour of the What's Right show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Don't go anywhere. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host. This hour of the program brought to you by Sam and Ash, Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve attorneys that share your values. Now, this DeSantis interview, we're talking about it. It was, look, it was overall good. I, I During the break, I'm getting some responses here from uh, some of you. By the way, my email, sam at salmonashlaw.com, sam at salmonashlaw.com. Uh, I understand that people liked it, and I liked it too. I think he performed well. Again, I just, I, I think, he, I, I sensed he was a little nervous, which he ought not to be because he, he's a bright guy and he's certainly able to direct the conversation, and which he did, and he did it deftly. So here's uh, an example of it. Uh, Pierce really tried to get, you know, he yeah, he tried to get, uh, he, he tried to get, uh, yeah, DeSantis to 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 take the bait on on trashing Trump, and it, and it it didn't really work. Here's an example of it: reading the endorsement, the original endorsement that Trump gave to DeSantis. This is uh, this would have been when he was running for governor, so this would have been four years ago. Listen to this. You got a great endorsement uh, from someone. Ron DeSantis is a brilliant young leader, Yale and then Harvard <laughs> Law, who would make a great governor of Florida, which turned out to be true. He loves our country. He's a true fighter. I mean, there's a ringing endorsement from President Trump. Times can, change a little bit, I guess. You know, it is what it is. So. Yeah, I mean, but, he was a big fan. But then he doesn't get into it, Right. He won't do it. So Morgan, um, you know, continues and tries to get him, you know, uh, to talk about this. Um, and, and, and again, here's where DeSantis uh, talks about his relationship with Trump. And this is a clip that a bit of it was already put out there in the preview. But I'm going to play it again because this is a very good answer. Uh, and it's I think, you know, DeSantis needs to stay on this path if he if he doesn't want to end up in the mud with Trump. No, I mean, I think and, and I think, you know, we had a good relationship as a congressman. I and mean, I think one of the reasons he got to know me is because I saw this Russia collusion thing as a farce from the beginning. Right. Very few people said that we had a handful of us in Congress that were fighting back against that. Uh, and so I would go out on TV and I would defend him uh, when it wasn't popular and when it was kind of politically risky. But I just thought it was the right thing to do. And, and I thought that he had good ideas for the country. So I want to do. And then when I became governor, his last two years as president, I was governor my first two years, and we worked very well together. I mean, he, he had a place in Florida. He wasn't a resident yet, but he understood Florida and really worked well with us to, to, to serve our state. And this is a very good answer because it, it's laudatory to Trump. And again, the success here of any Republican running in the primary is, is to capture 
what Trump voters want. And I'll, I, I can tell you what we want. I mean, we want an America first agenda. We, we, don't, we don't want, I don't want to see somebody in the presidency who is openly hostile and critical of Trump and has been on the record fighting Trump. I just don't think that that's, that's particularly helpful, which is why candidates that are running some of the other names who have thrown their hats into the ring, I think they're, um, well, some of those people are kind of dead on arrival on that basis. So here Trump, you know, DeSantis is being laudatory to Trump. And then what happened is right when there was this bit about Frankenstein, Pierce Morgan goes, you know, the story of Frankenstein, which of course, you know, is, is the book, the movie about, <laughs> well, the doctor creates this, this beast, you know, and then, and then the beast, you know, turns on him, you know, and, 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 and here is an example. So Morgan sets this whole thing up. Pierce does this whole Frankenstein bit. And, and, and DeSantis is like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then pivots straight to, instead of taking the bait, instead of getting in there and letting himself, you know, talk crap about Trump, he immediately goes back to the job at hand. And I thought, uh, I thought this, was, this was pretty good. Let's put the country first rather than worry about any personalities or any type of, of individual um, ambition. You know- at the end of the day, I'm a vessel for the aspirations of the people I represent. It's really not about me. That's true, but you're up against somebody who definitely cares who gets the credit, who's desperate to want to win back the White House and prove that his theory that he had it wrong. Well, I'm not up against anybody, you know, quite yet. We're up against... Well, the polls basically have you two up here and everybody else down here. So if you did run... The way I view it, though, but the way I view it, though, if I were to to run, uh, I'm running against Biden. Like, we're competing Mm. for the Republican, potentially. I get that. But ultimately, you know, the guy I'm going to focus on is Biden because I think he's I think he's failed the country. I think the country wants a change. I think they want a fresh start and in a new direction. And by the way, this is an interesting thing. This confirms what I've heard a number of people say that are close to DeSantis saying he does not plan to necessarily run antagonistic against fellow Republicans if he enters the race. That he will basically his his entire campaign will consist of running against Joe Biden. He's going to run against the current administration. Here he seems to confirm it. He, 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 Morgan's trying to get him loop him into this thing to talk about Trump, and 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 DeSantis doesn't even go there. He just says so. I, the way I look at it is, uh, if I'm running, I'm running against Biden. I mean, and he, he cut off there, I think, what he meant, competing for the Republican nomination, I think is what he meant to say, right? But, but, so he, but, but he, then he says, basically, ultimately, I'm, I'm going to focus on Biden because I think he's failed the country. I think the country wants change. I think the country wants a fresh start in a new direction. That's the quote. And this right here, I, I think it's a look, it's a significant glimpse into how that campaign is going to look. And I also want to tell you the reason I think it's 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 an effective move is that essentially you begin running as if you're in the general early on. And it doesn't you know, it, it doesn't leave you in a place where you have to have to ditch and abandon messaging mid mid run you know you you a lot of times people that run in the primary have very different messaging for the primary than they do for the general election 
and it, and and yeah, there's there, there are problems with that, right? Because particularly if you're if you're running, you know, if if you do a hard pitch left or hard pitch right to win the primary, and then then suddenly you're moderating, um, you know, and 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 I I you know that's that's a problem. I think um, with DeSantis is a you know he is a uh, a person who I think has proven himself what he does. I mean, he he got elected on promises of things he was going to do in Florida, and he's done them all. And my, you know, that's my, I that's my measuring stick for a politician, as it is for many of you. One of the things I absolutely loved about Trump, and I, you know, I loathe the critics that say, you know, well, he didn't build the wall, he didn't do, he didn't, they. <laughs> He was running against everybody and their dog who was fighting him. Uh, when I say running, I mean he was he was trying to get all that done, and it was it was a challenge. But at the end of the day, he he made a concerted effort to do as much as he possibly could, and he he never wavered from it. He didn't moderate or change once he entered office, which is you know something that we've we've really not seen before. And DeSantis hasn't either. I mean, he hasn't moderated his his position. I mean, this guy, you know, I mean, hell's bells. He took on Disney, and 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 look at how that went. Brought a you know brought one of the most woke progressive companies in this country to its knees. Put him in an uncomfortable bind. And I and I and I say that because this is a guy who's got you know he's he's got some some major backbone. So when he talks about uh, putting the country first, uh, he gets into also some foreign policy stuff. And here, um, when he talks about Ukraine, he, uh, he, Pierce asks DeSantis if DeSantis regrets calling Ukraine a territorial dispute. I think you'll remember when he made those comments, I was very displeased with him. So here, uh, DeSantis is correcting it and shows that he has the ability to, to pivot. Listen closely. Obviously, Russia invaded that. That was wrong. They invaded Crimea and took that in 2014. That was wrong. What I'm referring to is kind of where the fighting is going on now, which is that western border or eastern border region, Donbass, and then Crimea. And you have a situation where Russia has had that. I don't think legitimately, but they've had. There's a lot of ethnic Russians there. So that's some difficult fighting. And so whatever, the conflict area, that's what I was referring to. And so it wasn't that I thought Russia had a right to that. And so if I should have made that more clear, I could have done it. But I think the larger point is, okay, Russia has not shown the ability to, to take over Ukraine, to, to, to topple the government, or certainly to threaten NATO. That's a good thing. They've been weakened. You now have the fighting in those areas. I just don't think that's a sufficient interest for us to escalate more involvement. I would not want to see, you know, American troops involved there. But the idea that I think somehow Russia was was justified and that's nonsense. Okay, so so and and that's again. I mean, I think his line seems to be, uh, you know, that he supports Ukraine, just doesn't want to see troops. Uh, the line that is that it is most important there is that he doesn't see Ukraine though as a sufficient interest for us to escalate more involvement. And what does escalate more involvement mean? I don't I don't know. Right? That's that's the squishy language in there. Uh, and I've explained many times why I think, of course, uh, Ukraine is of critical importance uh, to our security and to the world right now. So I, I'm, I'm just this is him finally getting on on the on the record. Now we got to take a break, folks. Uh, wow, this is 
hours already flying by. This is what happens on Fridays. All right, friends, I will be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show. News Talk 840 KXNT. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Because you deserve what's right. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. All right, you found it. The What's Right Show, live, local, here on News Talk 840 KXNT, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., uh, Sam Rajovsky here, uh, not just a talk show host, but also an attorney. So I'm I'm watching a little bit. I've got maybe two brain cells on this Gwyneth Paltrow skiing accident. I I don't know if you've I don't know if you've seen anything about this. Of course, th- this case apparently back in 2016, she's going down the hill, she's skiing, and takes out a, a doctor, an optometrist, retired guy. And ends up uh, broke, I guess, a few of his ribs, and has uh, he alleges has you know given him a, a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. So this this trial is now taking place up in Park City, Utah, uh, which is the jurisdiction where it happened. There's an interesting uh, thing that happened this morning. Apparently, the yeah, the you could tell he was uncomfortable asking it. The lawyer for Gwyneth Paltrow, asked the judge for permission to bring treats in for the bailiff and court staff. And he could barely, like, get this out. Uh, folks, just to tell you, I mean, that's a, a request like that is almost always going to be denied unless, you know, there's agreement from the other side. And, and the, the reason for that is, is it's, you know, I mean, it's 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 almost a, a it's almost a bribe. You can't bring in cookies for the bailiff if you're one of the parties in a lawsuit. No matter how great the bailiffs are being at protecting your client, uh, it can be seen as an effort to sway the impartiality of the court. So, the the judge looked totally bemused by it, and and the the lawyer for the doctor, plaintiff's attorney, shot up. I mean, I I was watching the video. He just shot up out of his chair and goes. I, Absolutely not. I, we object. <laughs> and so the judge denied it. But just a funny moment there in Utah up in Park City. All right. I still have, you know, I still have one more great moment from the DeSantis interview, the sit down with uh, Pierce Morgan. And this this is something that I probably of everything that of everything that DeSantis said in the interview, this was my favorite part. And it has to do with kind of getting an idea of what role he would play if he were president and leader of the Republican Party. Because, of course, when you have – yeah, you have a party head, a chair, whatnot. But when, when, you're, when you're the president and you're, you know, uh, you're the head of your party and you're the one steering the party, I mean, that is how the system works. And it works this way for Democrats and Republicans. And one thing that, um, you know, that, that and this is, again, this, this answer came out of an effort by Pierce Morgan uh, to get DeSantis to talk, you know, unkindly about his relationship with Trump. 
the lead up to this answer, the question that that precipitated this answer was Pierce Morgan asking uh, DeSantis if he knew what his, the fatal mistake in his relationship was with Trump that it and and you know and that it was becoming too popular and eclipsing right eclipsing Donald Trump. And this was DeSantis's answer, and I, I thought I just this was exactly spot on. In my view, though, is like, look, we should want the country to do well. I want other Republicans to do well. Mm. I'm not. I, I want them to eclipse me. You know, we're setting a great standard in Florida. Have everyone up their game. I want other governors to do to do a great job. Which is your- I want other governors to do a great job. I'm not looking to. Uh, I, I want other people to eclipse me, he says. You know, we're setting a great standard in Florida, and there's no doubt that he is. Now, the one advantage, of course, in Florida is that DeSantis has the help of a majority, Republican majority, in the legislature. There's a lot you can do. We have our own governor right now fighting with the, with the you know, <laughs> the Democrats in in the in the session right now getting any anything he can done and by the way speaking of governor joe lombardo yesterday uh he spoke on behalf of ab330 now this is the bill i've told you this this is the bill dealing with classroom safety this is the bill that reverses and takes away some of what has been put into nevada law with restorative justice in our schools this might be one of the most important pieces of legislation right now on the table in Nevada for consideration. The Dems in the Assembly and in the Senate are fighting it tooth and nail. Now, Lombardo, look, he's reading the speech. It's, you know, it's, this is a fairly dry delivery, but get an idea. He's coming out personally, speaking to the Assembly Education Committee, getting his support behind this bill. So here is uh, Lombardo yesterday up in Carson City. The heart of AB 330 is focused on three main objectives. First, giving teachers the ability to control their own classroom and do their jobs. Second, giving parents peace of mind that their children are safe at school. And third, giving students a safe and supportive environment that's needed to learn. We believe that there should be zero tolerance for school violence. AB 330 institutes serious reforms to empower teachers and schools to discipline students effectively. And basically, if uh, the refresher course on all this is, is that it has been, uh, it currently is very difficult to remove disruptive and even violent students from the classroom. Kids get progressed through courses. They are um, very rarely held back. If they fail a class, you can take a quick accelerated course that's very easy to pass to get uh, you to the next level. And so the kids are, you know, there is is right now uh, a a real problem in our schools with kids not uh, listening to teachers, not, not caring if they are disciplined at all, feeling as though there are no consequences for bad behavior. And teachers and students and administrators are in harm's way because then, you know, the behavior, <laughs> listen, friends, if the little stuff isn't handled, if it isn't punished, if it isn't addressed, then it gradually gets worse and worse until there is a very major outburst uh, that, that can result in injury. 
And we have had teachers in our schools attacked. Uh, this is this ought to be an issue that is so common sense and uniting Republicans and Democrats. But but the problem is is that a lot of the people, even here in Nevada, are so beholden to restorative justice. They are so they are so bent on making this thing uh, a part of a part of the you know of, of, of law that it's 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 going to be tough to get get rid of it. This bill very well might be a bit of a, a, a big of a tall, tall ask here, unbelievably. So we're following this bill. This is, this is really important. And I'm, I'm just, you know, we absolutely here in Nevada have to do everything possible to get more Republicans into the Assembly and into the Senate. The legislature is where bills, uh, you know, they, they, they happen. They, they're born there and they die there. And it's one thing to introduce a bill, but it's a whole other thing to get it passed. So the good news is we have a Republican uh, governor who has a veto power, and, and, and that gives, of course, some leverage uh, to do some horse trading back and forth and getting some of this stuff done. But make no mistake about it, this is going to be a, a, a big lift. Uh, because, again, I, I, and there are reasons for it. Like, I'll tell you, I mean, a lot of the... A lot of the rules that, that advance kids through the system help our stats. You know, this is, you know, this is one of the things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. But, we, we, you know, if, 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 the, if the kids, some kids that are being passed through the system were actually held accountable for not learning, then our, our, our school standing, our graduation rates would, would, would be even worse than they already are. And so in a quest to make our statistics look good, we in fact drop the quality of education and sacrifice, in many cases, the safety of our kids and of our teachers and our administrators. It's really quite sad. All right, friends, I'm going to take a quick break here. Sam Rajofsky, you're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, welcome back. Sam Marjofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian behind the What's Right microphone. Happy Friday, friends. We're getting there. It's getting close. The week is almost over for some of us, but don't worry. I'll be back here on Monday again at uh, 1 o'clock, so two days, two days without me. Uh, speaking of, speaking of uh, having to deal uh, with a shortage, not of Sam, but of Adderall. I don't know, Robbie, did you see this? Kids apparently are coming unglued across the country because of the Adderall shortage. Adderall, of course, is the uh, popular ADHD drug, um, and it's apparently since about the middle of last year has been running low. It's difficult to get. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's an amphetamine. It's a very dangerous and highly addictive drug. It's given to kids, and uh, frankly, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> we've talked about the hyperactive kids, right? And everybody says, we got to medicate them, we got to medicate them. No, kids need to go outside and run around and be kids and play sports and ride their bikes. Instead, they're at home watching video games, popping Adderall to the extent that the, now that we're, we're running out. By the way, 
Uh, side note, the drug Adderall is, uh, most of Europe doesn't allow it. Japan doesn't allow it. Uh, a lot of countries don't allow this drug. I mean, we're, we're very quick to medicate kids. And I, I think as we learn more and more about these drugs and what they, what they do and their effects that they have, on kids' long-term development, I think we're going to find that this is, this is something that is very dangerous and should be addressed. But nonetheless, apparently kids are not doing well. Grades are dropping. Grades are dropping because they haven't been able to get their Adderall. Fascinating stuff. Now, other medical news. Remember on Wednesday I told you about a Southwest pilot who was incapacitated uh, while flying, at, just departed, in fact, from Las Vegas, right here from, from the airport, and, and was flying to, I think it was Columbus. Now, he's headed to Columbus, and, and mid-flight uh, has a medical episode. It sounds to me, from, from what I've been reading, that it was some kind of a heart attack. So he's carried out of the cockpit. Uh, there, fortunately, there's another uh, pilot there who is flying uh, in the back of the plane as, as a passenger, pilot for another airline, doesn't matter. He was able to help get the plane back to uh, safety, back to Las Vegas. So it was diverted. But here's where I'm going with this and why I think this is um, interesting because I saw a lot of people reacting to this going, oh, well, look at this. See, that was a group of people, pilots, flight attendants that that were all vaccinated. And of course, that was, remember, that was the big push. It said, you know, if you want to fly a plane, you got to be vaccinated. Biden was pushing that. So I, I, you know, I started thinking about this, and I thought, you know, eventually somebody, when we get beyond the politics of all of this, we're going to have to decide to do some real science and do real investigation into, you know, what, what impact these vaccines really have on, on health. And I thought as a subgroup relevant to the study of this particular question, I can't think of a better group of people than pilots. And the reason for this is, is because these are folks that, by virtue of their employment, their licensure uh, require frequent health screenings. They've had, they get heart checkups. They, they go in and you have to get their physicals, right? And so now you've got, you've got and, and by the way, and, and it's a fixed group of folks that, that all had to be vaccinated. And I think there's, what is the three different vaccines, right? You got the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the, the J&J shot. And you, you, it's, this is, you're, you're reducing a lot of variables. You're also picking people that are roughly in a certain age band, you know, call it 25 to 60. You know, you, you've, got, you, you've got a lot of things here where you're reducing outside variables and limiting it, getting a, a suitable baseline for figuring out who, you know, who's been the impact, I mean, who's, what the impact has been of this vaccine. Because, of course, you know, there's, there, there are statistics of how many pilots let's say in from from 20 you know from 2010 to 2020 how many pilots had had heart attacks not just of course flying the plane but total how many of them had heart attacks how many of them had you know incidents of other health problems right and then you'll be able to once the vaccine rollout began then you can look okay well so from from call it 2021 to uh 2031 you know what what how how did that change did numbers go up and it's, I'm just, I'm telling you, I, I think it's, it's, it's relevant. I, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting group to study. Somebody I'm sure is thinking about this. 
uh, because I think it's, you know, I think it's, um, I, I don't know. I think that this is something to, to definitely to consider. Now I'm, uh, yeah, well, I mean, look, but the thing is, is nobody's, we're not engaged in real science right now when it comes to COVID. We still aren't. There's no interest in finding out truth. Everybody's, everybody's committed still to their political narrative on this. And by the way, my, I don't have a narrative. I'm just a skeptic. I'm a lawyer. I ask questions. And, you know, a lot of what this was that was sold to us was, was, was not, not true. And one of, the, one of the things I've always thought to myself, an adage to live by is, or a, I guess a, a, wise, a, a wise approach to things is, is knowing that fools rush in. So when it, for me, when it came to the vaccine, I, I just didn't you know, want to be the first one in. I remember in the beginning, do you remember when they were rationing these out? When they were you know, doing it by age group? And I had friends, you know, who were, you know, 40s in age group, right? And so they weren't, they weren't the first or even the second, you know, group of people to be eligible. And they were all so excited and they were, I cannot wait to get the shot. I want to go out and I want to live. And I'm thinking to myself in the back of my head, I go, I, I've been living. <laughs> I'm, I'm going out. <laughs> I'm okay. And I, I remember the vaccines came out right after I had had COVID. And... I, I don't know if they're still telling people this, but, but back then they were saying, you know, you really shouldn't get the shot if you've recently have COVID, if you still have the antibodies, because there were some kind of, they were worried about some kind of adverse reaction. And I, I remember thinking, all right, well, that's good. I'm, I'm not going to get the shot. I'm going to wait. And then I waited longer and longer, and, and, and I saw people who got the shot, still got COVID, still got sick, were just as sick as I was before I had the shot. And so, you know, you did the, you did the cost-benefit, you know, analysis. And fortunately for me, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm not employed by, I wasn't employed by a company that, you know, that, that forced a vaccine on anybody. And by the way, here at Sam and Ash, we didn't force anybody. We, if you wanted to do vaccine, if you wanted to be safe, if you wanted to wear a mask, if you want, I mean, it, back in the day when it was so strict here, I remember, you remember in Nevada, they were going, the city people were going around, you know, ticketing businesses if, they, if there wasn't compliance with, with PPE and all that. Oh, my God. It, it's, it was very simple. I'll, I'll tell you what we did here, and I think many businesses that were smart and wanted to retain and keep people happy. I mean, we spread people out. And we said, hey, do what you feel, you know, makes you comfortable. And the fact of the matter is that, that People, for the, for the most part, were wanted, I mean, wanted to be in an office where they, where they didn't have to wear a mask, where they could come in and interact with people and not just sit at home and be on Zoom. And so as a, as a consequence, during that time, we built an enormous amount of loyalty with our, with our staff, and people were, you know, loved coming into work and, and were happier. And, and, and in some cases, people even left other companies where, where this kind of thing was uh, where they were pushing all the, you know, the vaccines and the, the masks and everything, it was just, just nut, nut stuff. It's all been, by the way, it's now all been scientifically refuted, Ma- masks in particular, right? And we see the vaccines, of course, the efficacy of them in preventing infection and preventing spread, most importantly, uh, really uh, underwhelming. And yet the Fauci's of the world still pushing all of this stuff. So, like I said, 
at some point, you know, the science has to has to catch up, a real science, and look at this and um, and figure out what we're you know what we're doing here. Now, when we come back, I want to save it here for the second hour because I, I want to give it a little bit of time. I, I've got updates on on the Trump Alvin Bragg putative prosecution. <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll get into this. And then I, I absolutely, folks, I'm going to get into TikTok and, and the TikTok CEO's testimony. This was, um, this was yesterday. Uh, TikTok CEO went to Capitol Hill uh, to Congress and, and he testified. Very interesting. My takeaway on it, and I'll tell you more after the break, my takeaway is they do not understand how dangerous China is. And if they do, they're lying about it. All right, friends, got to run here. We're up against the clock. Top of the hour. I'll be back in a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to samandashlaw.com. No pressure, just answers, because you deserve what's right. Greetings and welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian truth teller, friend of all people, and all-around great guy reporting for duty. <laughs> i got to tell you, I, I am, uh, bemused is not the right word. I am, I am appalled by how naive people are. And I, I really shouldn't be uh, surprised by it. But every time this kind of a thing happens where, Americans fundamentally, right, fail to understand what true totalitarianism is. I'm, I'm left scratching my head. Now, the, the subject matter here, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is because I watched the testimony yesterday of the TikTok CEO. His name is Xu Ji Chu. And he, you know, he got a good grilling on, on, on Capitol Hill. He was confronted by tearful parents. He had... Uh, a lot of questions asked about the app's uh, functions uh, as it relates to gathering data of its users, how much of that data falls into the hands of the Chinese government. And of course, listen, this guy is a smart guy. He is uh, very calm. Uh, and he, you know, didn't give particularly great answers, but he, he, he wasn't, you know, he didn't let himself get, get derailed. And the other thing that he did, it's very important to say, because I'm not even seeing this anywhere as I'm scouring all this stuff. He lied. He lied. I mean, that's what he did. I mean, he is there to, he is there to protect the company and protect the investment and protect this device, which is what I think TikTok is, is a spy device and corruption device. It's a form of warfare initiated against the United States of America and other countries, Western countries in the world. And, and, and I, so I, I'm going to just, let me, let me take you through a little bit what I think is the proper take on this. There is little doubt that this app hoovers up absolutely everything that you do, that you look at, that you have on your phone, 
wherever your phone is, whatever networks you're on, and sends it to its mainframe computers, wherever the data for, for you know, for center point for this data is. And there, it is very clear, the data is parsed out and sent out to contractors that are working for the Chinese government. In some cases, I'm absolutely certain straight to the, to the Red Army and their, you know, their leagues and leagues of IT specialists who are sorting through all of this. It is a spy device. Now, that's the, you know, that's the, some of the technical side of it, but, but, but I also am convinced that what better way to destroy a country without firing a single shot than to put on it a, give it a highly successful social media application that absolutely ruins people's lives. I mean, it's very little, I have very little doubt that kids' lives are destroyed by going on TikTok. My kids, by the way, I've never, ever, just so you know, downloaded the TikTok application uh, on my phone. Because early on, I remember when it came out, it started being a big thing and everybody was talking about TikTok. And I, I, you know, I have people that I know that are in the military and that's just, Everybody, everyone that I respect told me, do not ever put this on your phone. And so it was relatively early on. I I wouldn't even want people to have it on their phones if they were, you know, in the office. I've eased some of that, but I uh, personally won't have it on my phone. And my kids are not allowed to have the the app. There's just no way in hell. And you might not remember this was a few weeks ago. There was a front page piece in the New York Post. A reporter there pretended to be a 13-year-old boy. And she went on there, she opened up a profile, said she was a boy, said her name was X, whatever it was, and then, then, then that was it. She didn't post any content. She didn't like anything. The only thing that the app knew about that particular account was that it was a self-declared 13-year-old child. Within minutes, the content that she was being fed as this, you know, supposed child, 13-year-old kid, was insane. Suicide videos, gun videos, sex videos, you know, not sex necessarily, but a lot of sexual content. It was, it was astonishing. And she, you know, of course, was, as a journalist, documented all of this. So I'm, you know, I see this app as, as something that is more sinister than just a means of spying on us. I, I believe it's, a, it's an app designed to, to break down our society. And we're doing a fine job of that, by the way, ourselves. I'm not going to lie, but, but this TikTok, it operates even, it's more addictive and more aggressive in pushing this type of, of content at kids than, than even Instagram, all right? I mean, it's, it's, it, is, it is by far the most aggressive app of this type. And its algorithm is really brilliantly designed to, to get engagement and it, and it works and it keeps people glued on, on, on the site, but it more importantly pushes stuff at kids that, is, that doesn't belong in front of their eyes. So the CEO gets up there and, and he's being asked by Congress people who I admit are not tech experts, Republicans, Democrats, alike they're being he's being grilled sometimes they're they're asking their their questions in a little bit of a clunky way and i you know and and it you know and and he was giving his answers and and 
a lot of people, perhaps some of these, of course, are <laughs> pay-to-play Communist Party bots, but they're getting on the Internet. And the, uh, the reactions from people is bemusing. Now, n- not all of this is bot stuff, right? These, some of these people are, are real, you know, commentators, most of them left-wing. Here's a quote. The TikTok CEO before Congress today was a punching bag for politicians who were trying to prove how anti-China and anti-communism they are. They only proved how stupid, uninformed, and illogical they are. Someone else today uh, spoke on or wrote on Twitter, goes, the TikTok CEO is being dumped on. The tone of this hearing shows that it's about justifying the ban of TikTok, not about solutions to data privacy or content moderation. If they cared about any of that, leaders from Meta, meaning Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, would be in the room too. Now, I, there's loads and loads of reactions along these lines. Representative Jamal Brown, uh, New York, uh, said that the GOP wants to ban TikTok because, wait for it, Wait for it, they're racist. Republicans in particular have been sounding the alarm, creating a red scare around China in terms of TikTok's behavior and its, and its risk to national security. It poses about the same threat that companies like Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Twitter pose. So let's not have a dishonest conversation. Let's not be racist towards China and express our xenophobia when it comes to TikTok because American companies have done tremendous harm to American people. I wonder if this guy was on the same boards as Hunter Biden. Maybe he's getting a little Chicom money because uh, this is insane. This is Congressman, he's a U.S. congressman from New York, Jamal Brown. Now, this guy continues. This was great. He went on uh, MSNBC with Chuck Todd to tell everybody that this is terrible. Pursuing this is terrible uh, for Democrats politically. Because, of course, this is an issue. I tell you, I, I watched the proceeding. I, for the first time, Republicans and Democrats coming together over something. I mean, it was Democrats were, were laying into this guy. And so here's Jamal Brown talking about how this is terrible for the Democrats. 150 million Americans, many of them young people, many of them tend to lean Democratic. So if the Democratic Party is a part of shutting down a platform that they have used to build community Mm -hmm. and, and, and to be in a space where they are often accepted and connected with others, in a space where they don't get that in face on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram, it can harm us politically in 2024. It can hurt us politically in 2024. Now, you know, I'm, he's possibly right in the sense that Democrats are better overall at getting messages out on social media. But this is absolutely insane. You know, by the way, in China. Guess how many American social media apps are are allowed? Exactly none. If you're in China, you're not using Facebook. You're not using Twitter. You're not using Instagram. They're they're not, they don't, no. I mean, they're, and by the way, they're, or or they're very limited. You know, there's a, there's a firewall you can't get past. This is, this is, it is absolutely insane.
that we allow TikTok to operate the way it does in this country. I have to take a quick break, but I want to unpackage some of what he said here, the CEO, as he testified. This is interesting stuff, and also the moms that showed up. There's some very powerful things were said yesterday. That's got, um, I've got some of that for you. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. No pressure, just answers, because you deserve what's right. All right, folks, welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Yesterday uh, in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol, uh, the congressman uh, on the Energy Committee uh, came together to uh, ask the uh, CEO of TikTok some, some questions. And one of the things that they got into was, of course, child protection. And getting into, you know, the fact that kids are going on this platform and are uh, able to access content that is damaging and harmful. A number of parents came to uh, tell their stories about kids that had taken their lives or had, uh, you know, got more influenced to harm themselves as a consequence of spending too much time on TikTok. And, uh, and here is what Shu... Z Chu, the CEO of TikTok, said about the underage uh, experience protecting kids on TikTok and how they're making changes to improve this space, and then brings up his own kids. Eight-year-old's experience on TikTok will be so highly restricted that every single piece of content he or she will see will be vetted by Common Sense, our third-party child safety expert, and um, the, the eight-year-old will not be able to post and the ADO will not be able to see any personalized feed and zero advertising in that experience. So I believe, yes, it is the appropriate experience for an ADO. Well, then why don't you let your eight-year-old child on TikTok? I have seen these news articles. I would like to address that. My kids live in Singapore, and in Singapore, we do not have the under-13 uh, experience. If they lived here in the United States, I'll let them use the under-13 experience. Okay, so you're saying it's because of the country you live in doesn't have the same mechanisms. Yeah, I, I mean, this is uh, the congresswoman speaking, Nanette Berrigan, I think is how you pronounce her name, Democrat, California. I, I don't understand what she said. Your country doesn't have the same mechanism. No, the, he, this guy lives in Singapore. And Singapore apparently has very strict laws about how old you need to be before you go on social media. So this doesn't allow kids to go on TikTok. By the way, China has the same rule. This terrible program that is put on us to have here uh, is not allowed. The, the, the TikTok the kids use in this country is prohibited in China. The Chinese equivalent of TikTok, it's a totally different program. It has a youth mode. Their usage is limited to 40 minutes a day. And there's hours. It's, you know, it's like cuts off at night uh, and overnight. They're, um, they're, they're, they're this, is, this is, but China, of course, has no problem exploiting and damaging our youth. And they're using this app to do it. There is simply no doubt of it. Now, I have a, you know, I'm not a guy that likes to ban things. I, I'm not into banning things. I'm, I'm, I'm a freedom guy. But you have to wonder, you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff that you, uh, that we buy through law, through legislation, 
bar kids from doing because it's not good for them. For example, we have decided as a society here in the U.S. that you have to be 21 years old to drink alcohol. I could make the argument, of course, that a program, I would say all social media, but particularly a program like TikTok, is, is hazardous to kids' health, to their mental health, to their developing brains. I mean, it's not inconceivable uh, that, you know, that, that a reasonable accommodation here would be to say, look, this is not something kids ought to be doing. So this, you know, this is, this is every question that was asked here is kind of making me think there's, there's going to be some kind of a reaction here. I think the government's going to come along and do it. By the way, the CNN and, and other people are reporting that the uh, Congress has basically already decided what they want to do. That they want to ban the program and ultimately may do that. Uh, and I, you know, and again, I mentioned just before the break, you know, the Chinese don't allow Facebook in the country and they don't allow uh, Instagram. And they, 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 there's a lot of programs they don't allow uh, of ours into into China and restrict through. Uh, internet firewalls, etc. So it's you know it's not it, it's not it, it, again it's, it's this is not racism. It's, what, what are they doing to us? They're, it's the it's it's us protecting our interests and uh, and, and and making sure that we keep um, we we keep the Chinese away from uh, government away from from our kids. Now the other part of this, of course, is the this, the spying, right? And we we talked about this, um, and I'm. I, I tell you, I, I think you know. I, I think that this is a component of the program that can't be can't can't be underestimated. The CEO talked about how no, no, no. We we do have some data in China, but now the data has been moved. It's moving. They're moving it stateside, and it's going to be walled off. And I'm listening to it, and I'm going, I, how, how can you even believe that it's going to be walled off? How naive would we all have to be to take him at his word. Now, one thing I, I have to say here is I've heard a lot of talk from various people about this going, well, listen, it's a private company. I mean, Sam, it's a private company. It's, how is the Chinese government involved in this? You have to understand how things work in China. Virtually every business and every company has is, is partly state-owned. The state takes a share of your business. It's how it works. If you want to start a business, you, you know, you, you go in and, you know, in, in, in Silicon Valley, if you want to start a social app, okay, you're going to, what you're going to do is you're, you're going to go to a venture capital firm. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go to Silicon Valley Bank. Well, not anymore. You're going to go to one of these, one of these VC firms and they're, they're going to raise money for you. And they'll deploy some capital and, and give you, you know, set out a burn, burn rate for you. And, and, and you're going you're gonna to go to the races. And if you succeed, they take a slice of your business, right? And then they sell that and make money and perpetuate what they do. The Chinese government plays that role in the Chinese economy. And they do it for two reasons. One, of course, I think they are looking to promote growth. But more importantly, they want control. This is why when a CEO steps out of line in China, he disappears. And it's not the mechanism by which he disappears where his company is taken away from him. His junior partner in the company is the Chinese government. 
and they claim that they've been defrauded and whatnot, arrest him on that basis because they're his partners, and then they take the business. This is how it works. So to think that TikTok is a company that is just, you know, like Facebook, every, every American politician and pontificator who says, it's just like Facebook, it's just like Instagram, it's just like, it's no different than, 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 than Twitter and Elon Musk. I mean, I, I'm pulling my hair out over here, folks. This is, this is fundamentally naive and stupid to think this way. So the, the, the safety and security part of this is, is huge uh, and, cannot be, and cannot be underestimated. And I said earlier, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I am, again, shocked uh, over and over again at how Americans, for all of our talk about Nazis and about totalitarian dictators and Trump and all this, how, how we really do not understand what a fundamentally unfree society like China and, and a truly evil government like the Chinese government, how, how, how much they can do and how, how, how much they can control. I think we just as Americans cannot wrap our, our freedom-loving brains around this idea. Got to run, folks. Quick break. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, uh, Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Alan Dershowitz dropped a piece this morning here in the Daily Mail, an article uh, by the famous Harvard Law professor and author of Get Trump, The Threat to Civil Liberties, Due Process, and Our Constitutional Rule of Law. Dershowitz, of course, famously defended Trump in the first impeachment proceedings in Listen, uh, this, is a, this is a great piece about the, the looming uh, indictment, supposed indictment, uh, that uh, Trump may be facing in New York City. Um, Dershowitz absolutely, absolutely goes to town on the concept of this supposed rule violation. Now, I've had a number of you ask me, both on social media and by emailing me, sam at samanashlaw.com, to explain what this, you know, what this, what this law is that Trump broke and why it's a felony. And I, Dershowitz gets a little bit into it, but the, the, the gist of it is this. I, I'll tell you, I'll give you the most lawyerly answer I can, and it's not necessarily the best, you know, it's not the one you're hearing usually on, on conservative media places because uh, people get into very rah-rah kind of getting into the defense of Trump without understanding some of this, the legal mechanics. So first, let me be clear. We haven't seen what, you know, if there's going to be an indictment, we, it's looking more and more like maybe there won't be, but if there is, we haven't seen it yet. But as I understand it from reports on what this is all about, it has to do with a falsified business record, which in most, gener- uh, most jurisdictions across this country is a misdemeanor. It's, it's, a, it's a nothing. You're, you're going to get a fine. And it's 
very rarely prosecuted unless, you know, there's some really egregious conduct going on. Now, this thing obviously is a multi-million dollar effort to get Trump, so getting him on a you know, misdemeanor charge is not really what they want to do. So they're going after the felony, and the felony that, that raises, you know, falsifying a business record becomes a felony if it's done to advance another crime. Now, the, however much money this prosecution is costing Alvin Bragg in, in, in New York to, to, to go after Trump, whatever that number is, if it's $10 million, $20 million that they've spent so far on this, the $20 million question is, okay, he falsified a, a, a line item because he didn't – this was great. Dershowitz wrote this perfectly. He goes, well, I guess – you know, he, he paid hush money to a porn star to remain silent. How do you put that in a, in a line item, you know, in your QuickBooks? What, what do you do? Um, and uh, and, it, and it, it, it's just funny. He's like, well, how, how do you write that? What do, you, what do you classify that as? But then the, the, the crime, right? What, what advancement, what crime was advanced by hiding the true nature of that particular expense? And the answer is, at least this is what is being said, is that it's, that it's a campaign finance uh, law violation. And my question is, of course, so if that's the violation, are they going to charge that crime too? Now, I'll tell you, this is the part where, you know, I, I, can, I can give you a, a reasonable explanation of how I would go about as a prosecutor charging this. And it's problematic it's weak, but the way I would go around it is that there has already been a guilty plea on the campaign finance law violation related to this payment to, Stor to Stormy Daniels, and that is by this clown lawyer, ex-lawyer of Trump's, Michael Cohen. So Cohen pled guilty to campaign finance law violations related to this payment. His... Um, his, uh, his crime, though, his crime technically was that this was a – that he had made the payment himself, that he had made it, and that it was, it was basically an, an illegal campaign contribution to Trump, which I think is a stretch, and I think he pled guilty to that because he was also – he got caught with, I think, was it 3 or $4 million in unreported income? So the IRS had a serious – tax fraud charge that they could stick to him and consequently they 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 had him by the you know by the you know what's and so cohen i mean he, he and, and you you remember the whole saga cohen just goes oh okay, i'm gonna give you whatever you want okay i'm gonna give you this campaign finance law fine i'm gonna plead guilty to this and get a reduced term and he's saying like a canary to save his butt so I, I mean, that's that's the best that they have is that if there if there is an existing provable felony, it's that one. But it's not Trump's felony. It's it's Michael Cohen's felony that he's pled guilty to. That also his lawyer wrote a letter to the FTC and and and, and to the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, and writing them the letter saying that this was. This was this payment was made out of Michael Cohen's own pocket without any knowledge of Trump or Trump organization or the campaign. And that, by the way, that's the so-called smoking gun letter that's come out earlier in the week. And that's why this whole thing has been blown wide open, because without linking that felony to Donald Trump, they got nothing. They, they have a misdemeanor. 
So at the end of the day, this whole thing could end up being a misdemeanor. These people, Alvin Bragg and all of his – the merry band of, of, of Democratic apparatchiks that are running this, – this is embarrassing, friends. This is fundamentally terrible, and it's bad lawyering. And I would imagine that career prosecutors who have some – I would say integrity, but but they're certainly skill. Have got to be looking at the shaking their heads. So that's I want you to understand when you're this weekend when you're talking to people about well what do you think of that Trump thing you know but well they really have him or they don't really have him. I mean there there is a felony related to that that um, that 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 line item right that that cost that money paid out. But they have, to, they, they have to still link it all the way to Trump personally, not to his staff, not to his lawyers, not to, you know, they have to link it to him personally in order to charge him criminally. And I want to say something here that I think is, is, is really, really important. I will tell you, friends, that I am just blown away at how little has been found on Trump. And I say this because if any business person in the United States that operates a closely held family business in the area of real estate, okay, I'm naming Trump work here, in the area of real estate, and has the, over decades, right? I mean, how long has Trump been doing what he's been doing? Decades. That, Anyone in his position doing what he does, tax returns in multiple jurisdictions, plenty of financial records, banking, loans, you name it, that all they have is this? That after years and throwing everything at this, putting the, the best investigators, pouring through all of his financial records, going through his taxes, everything, that all they have is this and another you know, another charge that was made, I guess, um, I guess against uh, the, the, the C, the C, was it CFO, was it Weisenberg, the CFO of the company. And, and against the company itself, it had some, some charges that, that stuck and they, were, they got, got a conviction on it, but none of it traced to Trump. I mean, it's such minimal stuff. I, the thing that I find the most surprising in all of this is that after all of this protracted examination, of Trump, they have so little, and it's been going on for years, right? This goes back to, I mean, this began in earnest in 2016 to 2017. Um, all of these, all of these radical Democrats were were going in deep. Congress was looking at Trump. Everybody was looking, and this is all they have, and it's falling apart. It's absolutely ridiculous, and this is why. Right now, Trump needs to rise above this. I, I, I can't. I mean, I, I know he, look, he, I, I'm going to defend him on this picture. There's a picture of him that he put up on his social media that with Alvin Bragg, and Alvin Bragg's off to one side, and then there's a, he, looks like Trump wants to swing a baseball bat at Alvin Bragg's head. Well, I don't blame him. If, if somebody like this was going after me this way, I would, you know, I, I, but it's unnecessary. Yes, that's the point. Yeah, it's just unnecessary. Because this all is this is all upside for Trump, particularly right if if there are no charges are brought, particularly if this all just fizzles into nothingness. 
So, you know, doing this kind of thing, I, I, I would let Trump be defended by serious lawyers like he did earlier in the week. And, and let, you know, let this process play out and let Alvin Bragg do not give Alvin Bragg by posting these stupid pictures of, of baseball bats and heads. Don't give him any talking points. This is an opportunity not to just for Trump to win, but also to discredit a hugely unqualified Soros appointed district attorney and turn the tide finally on all this woke, you know, reform. reform Yes, restorative justice and CRT and all all this nonsense. This is an opportunity for Trump to lead and get rid of this guy and build public sentiment against him. So I think this is a missed opportunity. All right, friends, got to take a quick break. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the program. Sam Rajofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, reporting for duty Yes, happy Friday. We're almost there. Weekend straight ahead. Now, uh, just before the break, talking about this uh, case in Manhattan that seems to be falling apart, Alvin Bragg trying to go after, on very thin and shaky legal grounds, uh, former President Donald Trump. I, 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 there's a part of the story that fascinates me as a, as a lawyer, and that is there are there have been a number of prominent Republicans that have raised or taken issue with uh, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, saying, "Hey, DeSantis ought to protect Trump. He ought to, you know, to stand off with the, with the, with the government, with the prosecutors in New York. He could, you know, he could, I guess, do something to stop Trump's extradition in the event that Trump were indicted on these charges." Now, I, you know, of course, there's federal law and it's in the Constitution that, you know, as, as long as you've got an indictment. You know, states have to turn people over and, and extradite them from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I mean, that's that's just a matter of law. But I uh, am bemused, though, by some of these things I'm hearing. I'll give you one example, and then I'll tell you, I maybe there's something about this that's not as crazy as it sounds. Now, here is uh, a guy named Darren Beatty, who's a Revolver News founder. He's talking to Charlie Kirk on Thursday, yesterday, and he says— um, you know, Kirk basically goes, well, look, the critics, they're saying the normies, I guess that's what I would be in this case. The normies are saying that there's nothing DeSantis could do because, you know, like I'm explaining, there's the Constitution. What could he do? And this is Beatty's response. It's 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 interesting. This is a bold and arguably extreme uh, step. But as a governor, uh, Governor DeSantis is in charge of the state troops, and he could, you know, Trump would have to cooperate with this, um, but he could basically uh, protect Trump in a situation where Trump's like in the governor's mansion protected by the state's state troops and force the issue to go to, you know, federal court and have them say, okay, you know, what's what's the ruling here and actually create a kind of uh, you know, resistance, sort of standoff type situation. 
And then, you know, I thought, all right, so the idea of Trump hanging out in Tallahassee, which, by the way, would be the <laughs> last, last place he would want to be. But I guess, you know, he could, he could send, DeSantis could send troops to Mar-a-Lago and circle Mar-a-Lago and, and engage in some kind of a standoff. But I started thinking about this because they went, went further and they're talking about what's well, kind of the same thing about sanctuary states and sanctuary cities. And I, and I thought, you know, it's, it, is, it is funny if conservatives did what liberals do, which is ignore the law, precisely what Beattie is describing here is the, is the conservative version, is the other side of the coin of what Democrats do with sanctuary cities. They, they thumb their nose at federal law, which, you know, is they, they ought to be following. They need to be following. They don't. They shelter rule breakers and criminals, people who, unlike Trump, actually have violated uh, criminal codes, and, and, and get away with it. And that's the, that's the problem, right, when I guess uh, – well, the, the, problem, the, the problem is, historically, is that, is that Republicans are, are – we're rule followers. We are. And the other side, they play fast and loose with the rules. They, they do whatever they want. If they don't like a law, they don't even bother about changing it, going through the legislative process. They just nullify it by not enforcing it. And this is, this is very dangerous. So I, um, I think, you know, I, I, I think there's an interesting conversation about this. <laughs> Not because I think it's what DeSantis ought to do. Far from it. I, I, I don't think it's the right approach. But, but you know, Beattie and, and others that are advocating for this kind of thing are, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting intellectual exercise. Let me put it that way. Because ideologically, right, if, if we don't like, if we think that these rules are unfair and they're not, not they're, they're singling out a Republican— and an ally, maybe those are rules that we could ignore, right? Maybe there's constitutional provisions that we, we could just turn our backs on and, and, and pretend there aren't there and act in contradiction of. So this, this to me is a, it's a, it's a, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's sanctuary states. You've got, you've got criminals. You've got people hiding out. And they're, they're, they're allowing it. Democratic cities, democratic states, California, for example, sanctuary state where they flat out refuse to enforce the law. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's an, it's, I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. Now I'll close here. Something that is from the TikTok news conference outside Kara Frederick, who was attending as a mom, but she's also the director of tech policy at Heritage. Uh, she said this, and I think it's very powerful summation of testimony that was heard on the Hill of parents affected by TikTok whose kids uh, have done, you know, have, have harmed themselves. This is very powerful. Please listen closely. That mom in Pennsylvania whose 10-year-old accidentally killed herself attempting the TikTok blackout challenge, she's never going to get her daughter back. That girl who paid attention to the social contagions that Tiffany talked about, that TikTok's algorithm supercharges, who can never have kids because she took those drugs and believed those influencers, she's never gonna get her fertility back. 
we care about what this Chinese controlled application is doing to the next generation and especially what it's doing to their souls. Suicidal content, eating disorders, self-harm, Journalists have been conducting organic experiments registering as 13 and 14 year olds on this platform and they find within minutes, minutes, sometimes three minutes, these children are fed eating disorder content, suicidal content, that self-harm content, a veritable onslaught of deleterious material right into their brains. Yeah, this is Asia Grace uh, on uh, the, the the lady she's referring to, I think primarily is, is a lady named Asia Grace who went on uh, TikTok posing as a 14-year-old boy and then wrote a, a, a stunning article about it for the New York Post. Um, and, and basically she goes, look, I, I, uh, I'm a woman. I found the article. I mentioned it earlier in the show. She said, I'm a woman in my early 30s. Uh, but I recently created profiles for a fake 14-year-old boy named Jaden. She went on TikTok. She also went on YouTube. Um, and, and she doesn't interact with anybody on the profile. She doesn't post anything. She completely passive. And all of a sudden, she gets bombarded with what she calls a dizzying stream of videos of girls lip-syncing, twerking, mini shorts. But then it all took a darker turn, talks about how um, you know, there's there's uh, some some allegations of rapes and things. I mean, horribly dark stuff. Um, so anyway, I am um, I I'm just it's it's this this is a major folks a major issue and and and, and I'll tell you, you you don't need to wait for the government to do something when it comes to your kids. I'm going to close with this. You are the government in your homes. You're the parents. Take this crap off your kids' phones. Lock your phones down of your kids. Limit the time that they have. Apple has some great tools. I'm, I, I'm sure Google does as well, where you really can wall off your, your child's iPhone to where they really can't do very much on it, and that is okay. I promise you, your kids will survive. Have a wonderful weekend. Catch the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and obviously the Odyssey app. Find us there. I will be back here Monday. Looking forward to it.